your host Phil and this is Education Reform Series Part 3. Today I want to talk about some things that a teacher has to deal with on a day-to-day basis and this is this is above and beyond just teaching their content and that is doing something known as accommodate instead of educate and that needs a change. That needs a change. We're in such a hurry to get these students out of the classroom and out into the world that one by accommodating, we are not preparing these students for life or college, for that matter. And the teachers see it. And, I, and every time, we, when I sit around the round table or I'm in a break room or something like that, the teachers are constantly saying, why don't they just leave us alone? I mean, in a nutshell, they don't say it like that. But, you know, I'd say it, actually. I said, why don't they... Now they leave us alone, do our dang job, and trust us that we know what we're doing. Heck, we went to college to do this. Well, at least some of us did anyway. We went to workshops. We're doing all this professional development. Why don't they just leave us the heck alone and let us teach the class the way we need to teach it? But they don't want to do that. They don't do that because they're not interested in really educating the students. The only people really interested in educating the students are helicopter parents and teachers. And even then, if a student has given up in class and you have sat down with the student 10 times going, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you know, cheering them on, doing everything, doing everything that your professional development says, everything that you've learned in college, and this student is just non-responsive, you can't waste your time because you cannot sacrifice the rest of the class for this one student. You just can't. But back to my, my original premise was that no one cares about whether or not a student really, really wants to be educated or being educated, let alone the student. Now, I have found a whole bunch of students, when I worked in my honors chemistry and my honors physics classes, I have saw hungry students, kids, students that have the desire to learn. They want to learn. They want to understand. They, they come and they get extra help. And, and that's the kind of thing that you need to, do, need to do. But the majority of the students, they don't. So let me, re, let me um, re-evaluate who's interested in learning. Students who are truly hungry for learn, helicopter parents, usually those parents of those students who really want to learn, and then the teachers themselves. After that, it doesn't seem like anyone cares because we lower our expectations till they're already met. And that is a problem I think we have. So here's a good example. In every school that I've taught up till last, maybe last decade, 70 was passing. But now, 60 is passing in most states. 60 percent. And you have to structure your tests and your quizzes in such a way to make sure the students can get at least 40% without really trying. I Seriously, when I made my tests, or when I make my tests for, uh, for my, my chemistry class, now listen, I took a class in college known as testing and measurement. So I know how to write a test. I know how to do the directions. I know how to structure a test. I also know, I also know how to add, ask multiple choice questions and how I'm supposed to. So that way they're actually testing their knowledge and their understanding and their application and their depth of knowledge. I can do that with a test. But when I do that with a test, I get, I get told that my test is too hard by the student by the administration and by my, my bosses or my administrators, not my administrators, my supervisors. You know, they look at my test. Let me see what your test looks like. I hand it out and they look at it and they go, 
well, you got you got a matching section. You got uh, you got some you got some. Oh well, these multiple choice questions are tough. They're not. They're they're. It's choose your best answer. It's it's. I said, well, in, in the ACT based on that. Well, you're not teaching the ACT, Mr. Phil. You're not. Uh, okay. So we don't want to train them for that. Well, that's their. That's what. That's why they take the ACT Buster course that we give them for free at, in the spring. You don't need to be doing that. So I say change this, change that. Oh, you have them. You have them doing, you know, doing a multi-step problem. How about, and you got them doing three multi-step problems. How about give them a one multi-step problem and give them a blank for each step? And I'm like, that's not how we solved it in class. Because this is, this is literally the question, I, this is the question we worked on twice in class. And, and she goes, well, you, you know, my supervisor says, well, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of fails. That's exactly right. <laughs> She was like, the only people who, who did well were my honor students. They crushed it. But my CP students, even though I only gave them one question, even with the stepwise, they didn't pass it. They didn't even try it. They went, all right, that's good enough. And they sit down there, that's, and they ask me the same question every single time a test starts. You know what they ask? And teachers probably can say, say it all in unison. How much are each one worth? Because they've already calculated, they want to calculate. They want to spend ten or fifteen minutes on the test calculating how much they can answer to get that sixty. Now, is that not problem solving? That is awesome, but they can't apply it to a situation in like in chemistry or physics. They can't, but they're definitely problem solvers. Like, how much can I do to get away with, but still pass and make my parents and make my parents happy, who who are blissfully unaware that I'm trying my best not to do what I what I need to be doing. And I answer the, you know what my answer is? And I bet a lot of chemistry and math teachers are saying, I haven't decided yet. I do know, I do know the matching and the multiple core choice are one point out of the total. And they go, what do you mean out of total? I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know how many points each, each question is going to be. I don't want the, I don't know the total points yet. I want to see how people do first before I, before I scale the test. That actually is good for you. <laughs> worry about getting all the questions correct or doing the best you can you can't lose that way if I told you that each question was worth three points you would sit there and go alright well I'll need to answer 20 questions and then hand it in and they kind of look at me like you're on to me I am on to you because <laughs> I know exactly what you're trying to do so why are they doing that? Why are students, even though they're doing problem solving, they work together to pass, they do group work by passing the answers to the test back and forth. You try to tell them to give them, give them your phone, you can't take it from them. In some states, it's their personal property, you can't take it from them. And you can write them up for it, but nothing's going to happen. There'll be a little slap on the wrist. They'll go, well, little Johnny, you know you're not supposed to have your phone out during tests. Yes, Mr. Principal, you're right. I'll do better. And they go, they go back to class. <clears throat> so we have a very low need to educate. We have a high need to score well. And it's again, it's all numbers game. And I know numbers drive the world. I do know numbers drive how much money a district's going to get. I know numbers um, also deal with teacher pay very rarely. By the time that gets down to the teachers, it's it's like an extra five hundred a month. Ooh, you know, I can maybe, you know, make an extra mortgage payment or something. But or maybe not even five hundred dollars a month. It's usually like one hundred and fifty dollars a month. We've talked about that on the previous 
broadcast. But the point is, is that by the time all that money trickles down to the teacher, which is the beachhead, if you will, of education, they don't get anything. They don't. And you're supposed to take money out of your pocket to go get supplies at a local store. Yeah, they give you something like they give me 250 bucks. Here's your $250. Go buy everything you need this year. And you're looking at them as a chemist. You're like going, I can get two labs out of this. I need to get, I need to have other materials. Well, we have other materials in the stock room. And you go back and you look and they're like, they're not, they're not good. You can't use them. There's not enough. <laughs> you go to say, well, I see this coming down the pipe. Can we order this? And they're like, well, we have other, we have other monies that need to be done. We're trying to get a new photocopier. Or we're trying to get, you know, Chromebooks for the entire department right now. So, no. <laughs> You're like, what? Anyway, so you get that. You get that done. You take, um, you take, you take all that numbers business, and you try to try to make it work, because teachers are not just sitting there teaching. They're trying to balance their five, their their IEPs and 504s and BIPs and other things. They have all these acronyms for these crazy forms that you've got to fill out, you know, on a on a daily basis. You're constantly checking your email. You're constantly balancing things, and it's not like you're sitting in a cubicle somewhere earning sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, typing on a computer and talking to one or two customers a day. No, you're you're seeing 150 customers a day, every day, and sometimes those customers don't want. They're not buying what you're selling, and they'll never buy what you're selling. And then we have to figure out why are these kids failing? And so they've come up with a brilliant idea again, as lowering one of the brilliant ideas was to lower the uh, the grading scale down to 60 percent. But the other thing they do is they institute. I mentioned them just a second ago, an IEP. Instructional Education Plan. Different states probably call it different things, but in the South, in the states that I've taught, it is known as an IEP, Instructional Education Plan. Now, originally, it was a fantastic idea. It was to identify students who are struggling to create a situation where they can still succeed, but not be graded as harshly. That's, that sounds great. You know, it's like on the surface, that's like fantastic. But then think about what that means. You are going to say, it's okay, little Susie doesn't have her multiplication tables memorized. And we're going to call that math impairment or math learning disabled. And, all she, and it's only because her previous teachers didn't do a good job or Susie did, was sick during that week of school or parents didn't take an opportunity to to fill in the gaps, but in the summer, that maybe the the subjects didn't didn't cover. I mean, like right now, I'm working with my daughter on on multiplication and division because they hit it at the very end of the school year, and she didn't understand it. Now she's doing great, but of course, me being a math teacher helped. But the point I'm trying to get to is that we have to accommodate instead of educate. And I may have said that already once before. I may not have. So I'll say it one more time. Accommodate instead of educate. And that's a big, big problem. Because these IEP, IEPs are not designed to help them meet standard. It's allowing them to not have to meet the standard. 
And what I mean by standard is the student will be able to X. The student will be able to analyze and, and higher order thinking skills. The student will be able to identify, you know, those are the standards. And, of course, fill in whatever subject matter that they need to understand or they need to be able to synthesize, evaluate, and analyze. And they'll never get to a depth of knowledge because they don't have to. Now, I want to tell you something. Those students are brilliant in their own way, 100% brilliant. And as soon as they find out that they don't have to do their multiplication tables, they can just use their calculator anytime they want it. <gasps> what else can we do? And some of the times they are truly learning disabled, and that's fine. I'm not talking about the truly ones, but I don't think as many people are learning disabled in math or in reading or in English as they claim to be. I think it's just we're tired. We're just tired of fighting. We're just like, fine, you know, let little Johnny not have to not have to know his multiplication tables. It's fine. It's not like it's going to help him. It's not going to hurt him. I mean, he's always going to have a calculator. All he has to do is always have a calculator on him. His phone has a calculator. So as long as he, you know, as long as he's careful, he'll be fine. And, he ends, and, and little Johnny goes to college and realizes college is a little bit different, and he, he flubs out, and we, do, and we think to ourselves, well, we tried. We tried everything. We have, a, we have a document that is 25 pages long outlining what teachers need to be doing, and they, the teachers didn't do it, so we're just going to blame the teachers. You're going to blame the teachers, right? All right, and I said a 25-page document because I'm not, I'm not joking. Some of those get really, really long. Maybe not 25 pages. Maybe that's a hyperbole, but still, it is very, very long. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. It's not one student out of 30 in your class. It can get as much as 15, and each one have a special proclivity, extra time, preferential seating, Tell me this, if you got 15 students who needs preferable seating and you only have 30 chairs in class, what do you do? Prefer preferential seating is seating that is, is at the center of instruction so that the student, can all, the student and the teacher can ma maintain contact closer so the teacher can always walk over and help them when they need to. And that's preferable seating, preferential seating. I wish I could talk. But... How do you do that if there are 15 kids in the class that need it and you have only you only have 30 chairs? Well, you do the, every, the only thing you can. Teachers have to figure it out. And that's exactly what they tell you. You look at them and you say, I've got, I've got several behavioral problems in that class. And you're going to drop me IEPs that are claimed to be at high, uh, that, that are ADD, ADHD, and ODD in that all in one class? Yeah, sorry. Why? Why, did, why don't y'all spread them out? Why don't you switch them out? Well, we'll see how this goes. But until then, just make it work. And you're like going, okay, going to try to do the best I can. And now you have to be familiar with every IEP in that classroom. Now, let's see. You might have 30 or 40 IEPs out of your 100 students or 120 students. And you've got to know exactly what their triggers are. That's more for a BIP. But you've got to figure out what what they need, what they're allowed to do. You've got to you got to make your tests the right way. If you don't make the test the right way, you can be you can be they can they can come in and slap you on the wrist and say, "You refuse to help little Johnny accommodate." And you're thinking to yourself, "Why can't Johnny get a tutor maybe from a you know, maybe only take the core subjects 
take him out of sports and during sports time have him go and sit and learn the skills that he has missed. Why can't we do that? Uh, well, the only A little Johnny will ever get is going to be him running track, and he's the fastest kid we got, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but, and he can get a scholarship at, at college under that? And, I mean, his future could be all based on that. And I said, and what happens if he hurts himself? What happens if he hurts his knee? What happens, what happens then? He's back at being, being a service industry minimum wage worker and still with with a future that's shattered what happens when he gets to college and he is doing great but the college doesn't fix his grades and all of a sudden he can't even pass writing 101 or he can't pass a college algebra and and they're watching him like a hawk because he's on probation what do, what do they do honestly what do they do what happens then? Well, you know, we we will cross that bridge when we get to it. And they, and they look at their watch and they're going, that's just ridiculous. And they walk away. And you're like, I thought we were preparing these kids for life. No, we're trying to get these students graduated so we can have our numbers up. That's what they want. And then, of course, they explain, you do know that the higher the graduation rate, the higher the pay the teacher's going to get. And I'm like thinking to myself, $100? Really? $100 extra a month, wow, I might be able to go, <laughs> I might be able to go to see a movie a couple of times with my family, ooh, $100 a month, ladies and gentlemen, is not worth it, <laughs> it truly isn't, when everybody else is getting like three or four up to $600 a month raise every year, it's not worth it, but then they blame the teachers, what happens is when, when the teacher are telling, literally telling you, and you're documenting everything in your little notebook. Because I had a little notebook that had all my IEP stuff. And I had each, uh, and I divided it up. And I wrote the information down. And I said, if little Johnny didn't do his work today, um, per the IEP thing, I will call the parents and let the parents know. And you call the parents, and you can't get ahead of, you can't get a hold of them. Or when you do get a hold of them, they go like, well, we'll talk to him, but we really can't get him to do a dang thing. And, you know, that's not a cliche. That is not, you know, a euphemism. That is true. The parents have even given up when you finally get students this time. Occasionally, there's, there's a student that has got really learning problems, but the parents, are Johnny, the parents are Johnny on the spot. They're like, yes, I will take care of this. I'll make sure he gets it done. I will help him through it. I am, I am a math major. I will help him through it. I'll get him through it. I'll say, fine, thank you. Or I'm a chemistry major. Or, I'm, a, I'm a science major. I will help my son or my child. And then they come back. Yeah, they got to set their work is about a 65 to 70%, but they get the work in. And that's different, ladies and gentlemen. That's what, what I'm saying. That's different. Usually, you don't have parents that are like that. You don't. You have parents who are like saying, my kid's got to pass. He's got to graduate because he's, he's going go to, to go to college. And I'm like, fine. You know, you want to go to college. Let me tell you how college really is. And they're like, oh, college is not really like that. I went to college. It's like, yeah, what did you do? What did you major in? Uh, history. All right. <laughs> what, uh, how'd you, how'd you pay for it? Oh, I was on a football scholarship. Oh, really? Um, you're not playing professionally, are you? No. What are you doing right now? Um, what are you doing right now? Um, you know, I, I'm working for the family business. 
Really? You're working for the family business? What is that? Oh, uh, we build furniture and we're we're a million dollar company. <laughs> you know, you're just like going, and little Johnny's going to work for the company. So you're like, yeah, all right. I, I speak from experience. I had I had a situation like that one year. I had a student who came up to me and, um, you know, they were driving this really nice car and they had these really nice clothes and they would come in and they would brag about their job. And I go, where do you work? Oh, you know, I work at the, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say the place, but it's a furniture place. We're working at a such and such furniture. I said, wow, how'd you get a job, a job like that? Well, our, my aunt and her, my aunt, um, has allowed me to work there. I go, wow, you're working there already? Yeah. And he goes, and in order for me to get a raise, I need to finish high school. Oh, well, at least they're thinking about that. They go, yeah, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking $35,000 a year is enough for me. And I looked at her and I was like, you're making more money than I am. So how in the world can a teacher who barely makes it by have the respect of someone who works for the family business who makes more money than I do, why do they even listen to you? Or better yet, if they know they're going to work for the family business and they're just trying to skate through high school because they need a high school diploma because it just looks better, how do you, how do you educate the students like that? I had a married couple once that I educated. They were both brilliant, don't get me wrong, but I had a married couple. A couple that was married who were further along in life at the time than I was. And and I'm just looking... And, and, and I taught them, and they did a great job. Don't get me wrong. They were brilliant. Like I said, they were brilliant students. But have you done that? Have you taught a student who owns owned their own business? I have. I've taught a student who owned their own business, and with the help of you know their parents, and they were making they were making bank. They were making more money than me, and of course they dropped out of they they were making enough money to drop out of high school. I don't know what they're doing now, but. Think about that. When your students have more money and make more than the teacher themselves, why in the world would a teacher even influence them? Good question. I never have found the answer. If you have the answer, I'll have an email again set up. And maybe you have some experience with dealing with that. However, a lot of times, students are fine. They're fine. Uh, students like that are fine. They want to be smarter. They want to be in the managerial position, and they want to be able to do well in the family business. And then those are the type of students who will listen to you and try their best and do stuff. So, again, there's a flip coin. I kind of digress back to the IEP. The IEP, the Instructional Education Plan, lowers the expectations by accommodate instead of educate. I don't understand. I don't understand it. And it's all a numbers game. I've said that before. So let me go ahead and finish that thought out. It's a numbers game. What they mean is, is that the more people that graduate, the better the numbers are. The better the numbers are, then the more money they get allocated. The more money they get allocated means there's more, there's more money for things like a new smart boards in your classroom. Um, a new wing in uh, on, on, a, on a school that's already been renovated, you know, you know. So the school that I'm sitting at was a 30-year-old school, still had portables, the last place in that, and we were turning, turning out supposedly some of the best numbers in the state. 
But instead of giving us the state-of-art lab uh, equipment or state-of-the-art um, wing or remodeled the school at all, they went and they, they added another wing to a school that had already been had already been remodeled in the last two or three years. So in other words, they're making this other school the best school to work at because you have plenty of room, you have plenty of lab space, you have plenty of everything. I went to that school and I was like, why in the world did I not get hired here? And I realized <laughs> no one leaves this school until they retire. There's no way that I'm going to be able to get on the, get on to this school. That's why I went to the other school because no one wants to work there. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. However, back to another form that we have accommodate versus educate. Um, another comment about it, an IEP. So let me tell you kind of a story. I don't know. You probably heard a story like this before, and I don't know if it's real or a rumor. It's a rumor. It is. I don't know if it's real or not. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So we're going to use Little Johnny as our example. Little Johnny goes to work at Walmart, and he's working Walmart. And his, his supervisor says, hey, Johnny, I need you to put up some stock in, you know, in, in the paper aisle. We're running low on a couple of things. Would you please go back in the back and load up? And Johnny says, sure. And, the next time, the, and then after about 15 minutes, the, the supervisor comes by and he looks and he sees that it's not been done. 15 minutes. Should not take him 15 minutes to go and open a cup, go grab a couple of boxes, put them on a little dolly, roll them out, stock the area, and take back. It should not take him 15 minutes. So he's trying to figure out what's going on. So he eventually tracks down little Johnny in the break room. He's sitting there, sitting there, just leaning against the lockers, and he's uh, he's just looking at his phone. And the of course, the supervisor says, "Well, this is not break time. I have not given you a break." You need to go out there and do what I told you. And he goes, don't worry, man. I have an IEP. And his IEP, if we think about this, little Johnny's IEP says he gets extra time and you can only ask him one time to do stuff. If you ask him more than once, it causes him to shut down. And he goes, what's an I-? And, of course, not being in the education biz, the supervisor doesn't know. What's an IEP? <sighs> It's a piece of paper that says that you can't ask me to do things and I, uh, more than once, and you cannot nag me about it because I just shut down. And he goes back to looking at his phone. And he looked at uh, and the supervisor, who has some a little bit of supervisor, has some clout, looks up there and says, you're fired. And, and Johnny's like, why? And he goes, there's no such thing as IEP in the real world. You do what your boss tells you. You do as quickly as possible. That's how you earn your keep. That's how you're supposed to do your job. And this in there, you know, Johnny's like, but, but you're gone because I can. I got people on a waiting list that want this job and who will do the job when I tell them to. There is no IEP. Get out of here. Now, I don't know if you've heard that story before. I paraphrased a lot of it, but think about it. What if it were true? If it what if it's not? What if it were true? What if students or are people who are going out to the workforce are thinking that those places have an IEP? They wanna they wanna be able to move up in the organization at least to at least a man, uh, some sort of middle management at the store because that's the only future they have and they know it. But they but they're convinced that that IEP is going to follow them for the rest of their life. And instead of teaching them, educating them. 
we accommodated them. And when they accommodated, they took that with them through the rest of their lives. So which is more important, accommodation or education? Of course, from a teacher's perspective and helicopter parent's perspective and those hungry students that I mentioned, uh, or hungry students who wanted to learn that I may have mentioned or not. But these students are the only people who care about learning. All right, so next, the other thing that needs to be changed. So how do we, so how, what do we need to be changed? I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what to change on the IEP. The IEP should be changed so that it trims the fat, and so to speak. Preferential seating doesn't matter where you put a student in the class. If they're going to pay attention, they're going to pay attention. I can understand ADD or an ADHD students need to be close, need to be isolated. So you want to put those students in the middle of like four or five really good students and make, tell the four, four or five really good students and say, don't let, don't let so-and-so um, copy from you. But if they start looking confused, feel free to turn around and give them a hand. And you, you start using you start using delegation, you start using peer tutoring, because apparently a, a, a student who doesn't have a slightest idea about the subject matter that you're teaching them, they're learning the subject matter, somehow becomes a better teacher than you. I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. <laughs> anyway, so you use some peer tutoring situation, and it usually works, because the ADD students, the, they don't have anything to distract them. They have, they have walls of people who are, who are doing their job, and they're sitting there going... You know, they're sitting there going, well, now it's time for phone, and that's the only teacher has to walk for, look for, is whether or not little Susie or little Johnny has their, has their phone out. That's the only thing you got to look for, because once you tell them to put the phone away, they'll put it away, and then they'll try to do it again, and you'll put it away, and of course, you just keep saying that, and you keep calling on them to answer questions, until you get to a situation where you get an IEP that says, don't call on this student, or an IP like Johnny's that I described, where, where... You can't. You can ask me once. I'll do it in my own time, and don't nag me. And then, then you pretty much says, let's just allow the students to do whatever they want, because you're following the IP. And even, but you're not supposed to allow them to distract. So now, now you have a dynamic right there with an IEP person with a student who doesn't want to learn, who has accommodations, who thinks you're just, they're just going to pass just because they make it to school every day, and then they're looking at their phone the whole time, and you're trying to give them. Give them, give them good instruction. You tell them to put the phone away. They get mad. They get frustrated, and they shut down. They're like, ah! and they just sit there, and they, and, and they cross their arms, and they just sit there because you took their phone away. And it's like, this is class time. I don't use phone as an instructional tool. Another teacher might. I'd rather you have pen on paper because nothing beats pen on paper. I don't care who you are. Nothing be, be, uh, beats that. All right, now moving on to the next one, uh, the 504. The 504, different states call it, but it's basically an IEP light. It's basically the parent recognizes something in their student, and they want their student to be really, really good, or they want their students just to graduate, just to get them out of the, get them out of the class. So it's kind of like a light IEP. It usually has one or two things, preferential seating being number one. Number two, the teacher needs to call the parent anytime the student doesn't do their work or email the parent. Um, in, you know, and you, in, and it's, it's a process, and I'll talk about the process a little bit later. But the point is, is that you can get a 504 if you can't get an IEP, which is basically the same thing. It's just one is backed by more evidence than the other. All right, the last one that, that I've run into is the BIP, the Behavior Intervention plan. Now, that's one of the major problems 
with teaching today. Besides the cliche, teachers' pay is too, is too low, the other cliche is discipline problems in the classroom. Now, I have a very tight classroom management. I've always had tight classroom management. I've always dealt with things in my classroom. I usually could take care of things in my classroom. I very, I very rarely needed to hit the button to have someone removed. I've, have done, I've had, done, had to do that. But anyway, anyway, I've never really had to do anything. But I handle my discipline problems in the classroom. Or I take them outside in the hallway and I talk with them. And usually they come back and they say they're sorry and everything's taken care of. I don't write them up. I just put a little note on, you know, put a little note in their file and then let it go. And I believe in a clean slate. Once I dealt with it and they said they're sorry and I deal with a clean slate. I don't hate you. I don't hate a student because of their behavior. And that's a great, that's a, in my opinion, that's a great mark of a great teacher or a good mark of a great teacher. Furthermore, I don't ever link behavior to grades. Some some teachers do. They're saying, if you are a bad bad behavior problem, then I'm going to fail you, or I'm going to knock 10 or 15 points off. In in essence, if my students, this is how I always felt, and I tell and I tell them that, you know, if you can make an A for me, and you hate my guts, and you're the worst student on the face of the planet, and you and you are just nothing but belligerent to me, I am not going to fail you. Because your grade does not represent your behavior. Your grade represents your mastery of the knowledge. And I never link behavior to grades. And, and again, I never had really big problems with everything. However, there's something known as a behavior intervention plan. And this is called a BIP. Um, so, what does this entail? Well, I don't, I don't see very many of them. And when I do see them... I basically sit down and I talk with I talk with the student as they come in and say, "Look, we're not going to have any problems. You sit quietly, you do your work. I'm going to leave you alone. Put your phone away when I tell you to put your phone away, and that's all we have, and, and that's all. And all I want you to do is be quiet. I, if you don't want to be here, I, I see that your I see that your grades coming in are 40s. I know you don't care. There's no way in the world. I mean, I know you're going to get a 60 for this nine weeks, but there's no way in the world that I can I can personally catch you up unless you come to tutoring. And I and I just talk to them and I said. We're not going to have a problem. You're not going to have a problem with me. I'm not going to have a problem with you. All I want you to do is be quiet. Because it's obviously, that's what you want to do. And, uh, and, and that's all I can do. Because the behavior intervention plan says stupid stuff like this. Don't tell little Johnny he's doing something wrong. Try to encourage him by flattering him. Or how about this? Don't correct him in front of other students. What? That's one of his triggers. Don't, uh, if, if, if Johnny does not want to be in class, he can go to his safe space, which means he could just walk out of your classroom whenever he feels like it. But when he does, make sure you let the office know. And you're sitting there, you're, you're sitting there, you got, you got, you finally, you know, once, you know, like once or twice each week, you can really capture your students' attention, and you're really rocking. Usually, it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and you're rocking with these students. And all of a sudden, little Johnny just gets up and leaves, and you're sitting there going, uh, and you're thinking, you know, and all the other students are like, "Wow, is he going to get in trouble?" No, because he can leave whenever he feels like it, because the BIP says he can feel like it. Have you ever looked at a BIP's goals? <laughs> Check this out. A BIP goal was one that I read on one, Little Johnny, and it says, staying in your seat, not cussing at your teacher 80% of the time. <laughs> you, in other words, 20% of the time, 
you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but 80% of the time, you've got to be sitting in your seat. And if you can master that, we'll up it a little bit. Now, tell me this. Will little Johnny even want to up that? Yes, I'm going to be, what kind of, what kind of goal? I mean, what kind of behavior modification are we talking about here? So little Johnny can get up whenever he get up whenever he wants, cuss a teacher out whenever he, whenever he wants to, and he can go to his safe place whenever he feels like it. Right? Eighty percent of the time, though, he has to be in the stu- in the classroom, and he has to be quiet and not be confrontational. That's his goal to eighty percent. Well, what happens if he gets seventy five percent? What happens? Well, his his guidance counselor and his social the social counselor counselor at the school. Kind of says, now little Johnny, now you know that you, your goal was 80% so that we can get you, get you to a point where you're in class the whole time. Little Johnny doesn't want to be in the class the whole time. It is obvious he doesn't want to be there. He is there, there to be, I guess, the class clown. I don't mind the class clown. Usually, usually me and the class clown usually gets, get involved and we start making fun of each other and the kids are laughing, everybody's having a good time and then I'm able to say, all right, all right, let's settle down. And usually I get a good rapport with the class clown or the person who is, who is, a, who is a jerk. But the fact is, is little Johnny is not, there's no, there's no positive. He gets a reward of being, being good. His reward is to be good longer. How is that? How is that even working? How does that even work? I mean, they don't. They got. They getting what they want. They getting everybody to be on, on his side. You know, he he has. He comes from a po- uh, problem family. You know, he doesn't have a father or blah blah blah. And you find out that, you know, yeah, maybe he doesn't have a father, but come on, everything's a choice. I don't care who you are. You can either choose to sit in desk and do your work, or you can choose to be a disruption. You choose. It is a choice. There is nothing that influences that choice other than your own personality. Yes, you can have some personality quirks that are, that are, 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 are given to you by your parents. But in reality, it is still up to the student. It is a choice. But back to the BIP. So 80%, 80% of the time, he needs to be doing what's right. But the other 20%, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Excuse me. Do whatever he wants. How does that fix his problem? Now, here's the even bigger kicker. In the last state that I worked in, a person who has a BIP can only be suspended for those particular behaviors listed in the BIP. The most you can suspend him is 10 days. Now, if he goes off and you know, brings a weapon to school or he, he grabs a book and beats someone's head in in the class or something like that. Yes, he can be suspended and expelled for that. But if those behaviors that he is trying to work on, quote-unquote, are the cause of him being suspended, you can only be suspended for 10 days. And guess what? The kids know it. They know it. They know it. So they try to get their 10 days of suspension out as quickly as, poss- as, quickly as possible. And then, once they have the 10 days, they can't be suspended again. They can't be in school suspended. Actually, I think they can be put in ISS. But if they get put in ISS, they don't learn anything. And then teachers, teachers don't, don't find the time to send them the work 
because they have 15 BIPs in their classroom, and they're all from different, and you're doing three preparations, so you're supposed to have work for them to do in, in ISS, and sometimes you don't know, find out that they're in ISS till the middle of the day. And you're like, holy crap, I need to get this, that, them some work. And so you start photocopying and grabbing things and putting things together, and you walk it down, and it's too late. It's like near the end of the day. It's like, all right, finish it for homework. But if you don't do that, that ISS day doesn't count. In other words, that ISS, if they're supposed to be in there for three days, if they don't have work on that first day, they don't have to see the ISS teacher for the next two days. And then they can schedule their ISS because there's so many students who are on BIPs and IEPs and behavior plans that you can't, you can't put them all in the ISS. So they have, to, they have to serve their ISS. And the first thing they lose is their lunch period. In other words, you go, get your, you go to lunch, um, you go, go to lunch, get your lunch, and you go sit in the ISS room. Well, it gets too full. So then they, so they, then they hand out little passes. You're going to serve your IS on Monday. You're going to serve your ISS on Tuesday. You're going to do it on Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. And the kids don't show up or they're absent. And that's the one thing they love doing. They love being as, absent on their ISS days. And no one, and no one tracks that because the ISS teacher is pretty much stressed out. I don't blame him because he has to sit with the worst of the worst. Or she has to sit with the worst of the worst. And you're trying to keep them under control, quiet, off their phones, because they can't be having fun, and trying to focus them on working and getting their work done. They don't have time to make sh- sure that little Johnny went to his second ISS. He's just thankful that little Johnny's not there. And that's what a lot of t- teachers get to. They get to the point where they get to the point where they just wish the kid don't show up. They're like, Today is going to be a horrible day. Today is going to be a horrible day. Little Johnny doesn't show up. Yes! Today is an awesome day. I'm going to get a lot of stuff done today. And I, I guarantee you every teacher feels that way about one, one of their subjects or one of their classes. Unless they're lucky and they've got all honors courses. And even honors courses have 504s. No kidding. And I had, a, I had one student who was, had an IEP who were, who were an honor student. But that IEP was basically preferential seating um, and... W- you know, come and check her work during class, and if she's not doing her work, um, call her parents, uh, give her a little bit of extra time on tests. You know, some really, some really helpful for them because, you know, she was dyslexic or she was ADHD or whatever. So they, so there you go. So what we need to do about the behavior intervention plan is stop catering to their behavior and saying, oh, it's okay to be a jerk. 20% of the time. How about being a very good person 100% of the time? <gasps> what do you know? And let it not cap out if little Johnny can't, if little Johnny has to yell and scream and cuss somebody out and show his butt, why can't he be suspended for that particular behavior? The behavior plan should not be something that accommodates. It should be something, once again, that educates them. But it's not. It's accommodation. And these students know it. Right? So I don't know how to do that because I'm not a special ed teacher, even though I've worked with a lot of special ed students in my, in my life. But I don't, know, I don't know if there's a better way. But definitely there, there is a better way. Excuse me. But I don't know how you want to uh, achieve that better way. All right. So let's talk about the other, another thing that a student has, the teachers have to deal with that should be fixed. So let me sum up 
the fixing stuff right now. IEPs should be more streamlined. They need to trim the fat. And they need to make sure, they need to somehow not put 15 or 20 of IEP people in one classroom and expect the teacher to get anything done. Number two, BIPs, same situation. The BIPs and the 504s, they need to be there to educate, not to accommodate. And I'm going to tell you right now, there is no, there is no positive reinforcement. There is no negative reinforcement that's going to make a student behave when they don't like to behave. And there's one more thing I want to add. And it's, and it most likely happens in any class that challenges the student. Anything they find easy, they're quiet. So when I talk to like an, you know, little Susie's English teacher, oh, little Susie's just an angel. And it's, a, and it's just it's the first class of the day. And I talk to her, I talk to her history teacher and her language teacher. Oh, she is awesome. I wish more students were like her. And then she gets to her analytical classes, the, uh, the math and the science. And she is just a terror. And you're like going, what's going on? And then they, you know, I said, maybe we should put her, maybe we should put her analytical classes in the morning and put her, her put her uh, humanity classes in the afternoon. And they're like, nope, can't do it. It doesn't work with her schedule. I said, you can't, you want us to accommodate the student for their behavior, but you're not willing to help us do that. Yeah. And then they come back with the same old adage, just make it work. <laughs> And make sure you know everything about them. And make sure you sign this piece of paper so I covered my butt. And that's all they care about. They care about covering their butt. And they care about numbers. That's all they care about. All right. Now, the other thing that teachers have, have to worry about, and that is teacher 